Welcome to the Greenlight Podcast, an audio breakdown of the regulatory barriers to social equity in the cannabis industry by Marijuana Matters. My name is Deanna Benjamin, and I'm your host. We talk a lot about the economic impact of the war on drugs and cannabis prohibition, but social equity is not just about financial justice. April is Earth Month, and today, I'm speaking with Nafir Boom Kerr about environmental justice in cannabis. Boom is a speaker, author, and advocate working to promote social equity. And on this point, environmental justice, she preaches. Keep listening to hear about her journey and the questions we should be asking as consumers, advocates, and allies when it comes to environmental justice in cannabis. Let's get into it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Green Light Podcast. Today, I am here with Nafir Boom Kerr. Is it Kerr or Kerr? It's Kerr, like the basketball player, but no relation that I know of. (laughs) Awesome. Um, We are going to dive into environmental justice in cannabis. um, And there's a lot there. So before we get into that, Nafir, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you're doing in the cannabis space right now, how you got into cannabis, anything that you're willing to share with our audience? Sure. Well, um, like you said, my name is Nafir Kerr. Uh, I am known as Boom throughout the world in the city of Chicago. I am an author and public speaker. Um, I do a lot of writing around social justice, social impact, um, things that pertain to Black folks and, you know, other people of color. Um, my, my journey into cannabis uh, basically started a couple years ago in 2018. Um, prior to that, uh, I had, you know, been diagnosed uh, clinically with depression and some other conditions and found that the medicines were not really working well for me at all. Um, giving me horrible side effects and, you know, just basically not what my body needed. Um, And I want to say that was around like 2008, 2009. Uh, Shortly after that, I had cycled off and, you know, discovered medicinal qualities of cannabis and how it could be used to treat things like depression and PTSD and, you know, other, other issues, anxiety, stuff like basically that a lot of Black people (laughs) deal with anyway, right? Yeah. Um, so as a result of seeing how, how well that worked for me and my body, that kind of piqued my interest in wanting to learn more about, you know, the plant, the flower, the medicinal qualities and, you know, legalization and stuff like that. So that was around 2018 when I actually became interested, uh, in terms of being a part of the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I dived into, you know, taking different certifications, learning about, you know, the the state guidelines and laws and stuff like that. And over the years, you know, I've become a member of different organizations. I am a member of Chicago Normal, which is the national organization for um, marijuana um, reform, you know, the reformation of marijuana laws. There's also Minorities for Medical Marijuana, which I'm a member of, uh, Illinois Women in Cannabis, and and some others. So over the years, I've kind of um, stepped into the role uh, of being a cannabis professional, just basically, you know, immersing myself in, in knowledge and the industry and, and becoming part of organizations and, and doing the work. Um, 
I still, because the industry is so young, especially here in Illinois, I still consider myself a lightweight, even though, you know, people seem to want to hear what I have to say. But um, that's basically my journey that kind of led me to here uh, currently in. Can I ask you a 20... question a little bit about that? Sure. Something you said, your journey into cannabis, I think, is really interesting and relevant. You started as a patient. And my mm -hmm. question is, how did you, was it difficult for you to make the decision to investigate this alternative medicine? Because I know there are a lot of people in our community who won't even go there. We'll won't even consider. Yes. So how <laughs> did completely you against. Right, right. So, so here's the thing. I'm not going to act like I never, you know, consumed cannabis prior to right. that, you know, growing up, being young, it, it wasn't necessarily my thing per se. It wasn't something that I regularly partook in, you know, like how some people, you know, it's a regular daily thing for them. It wasn't that for me, mm -hmm. but you know, it was something every now and then I would partake in recreationally. This is prior to legalization. Mm -hmm. However, um, once I realized that it could be used, uh, to, to help to treat me, you know, medicinally, that's when I was like, okay, I really want to learn mm. more about this. And I'm naturally uh, the kind of person who really doesn't care too much about what people have to say or think, especially as it pertains to my well-being. So mm. it wasn't very hard for me to kind of step into and, and, and kind of be proud, like, no, this is actually a good thing. And here's why. And look at this and look at that. You know, one thing that's important to me is being able to be one of those people who kind of changes the narrative and the stigma around cannabis, um, especially as it pertains to, you know, the assumptions, the negative assumptions people have, you know, thinking that anyone who consumes cannabis, you know, is, is it doesn't have a job or is just sitting around all day or this, that, and the other. Like, no, there is there's a strong community of people who are professionals mm -hmm. and who are reliable and a great parents and a whole bunch of other things who, who consume cannabis. And, and that's important for me to make very well known uh, in the industry. Mm, yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing that because I definitely think there are a lot of people um, who can relate to that desire to change the narrative as well as relating to the fears because people of color mm -hmm. we're targeted like it's different for absolutely us. yeah absolutely and and it, it's it needs to be yes this is medicine and i have to also you know in in full transparency and disclosure even though i use it medicinally i am not a medical patient i currently do not have my medical card mm. and the reason i don't uh I was, I was one of those people who was waiting for legalization here in Illinois because I knew it was on the horizon since mm -hmm. we already had medical. And the reason I didn't is because I'm also a gun owner. And mm -hmm. there are certain rules and laws that cancel out what you can and can't do as a gun owner mm -hmm. um, as it pertains to, to cannabis. So I, I waited. So I take advantage of the fact that we're a recreational state, but I use it as medicine. Mm, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So getting, so what you're telling me is that actually getting the card. Oh, sorry. Oh, that's okay. Getting a medical marijuana card might or would um, prevent you from being able to carry your license. So no. So oh. the way the law is set up, it wouldn't prevent me. But so what I tell people who, who really want to get their medical card mm -hmm. and who are gun owners is it's important for them to know 
it's best to only apply for the medical card that is just the one that you renew annually. Because if you get the three-year one, you're stuck in that three-year period where you won't be able to purchase new, new artillery or ammo during that time. So normally what people can do is if you have a, a medical, medical marijuana card in the state of Illinois, and I don't know what the stipulations are for other states, but here, when your card expires and it's time to renew, that's the time when you can purchase new ammo or artillery or whatever you need to do, and then reapply you know, to renew your medical card. Now you can still carry, it's just about what you can and can't purchase during that time. Okay, got it. That's really helpful. Uh, so you listeners who might be in Illinois or maybe you live in a state that's got these tricky laws, uh, watch out. <laughs> Um, <laughs> oh, and, and I, I forgot to say, you know, the, <laughs> some of the, the, the work I do, I actually have a nonprofit organization. Mm. It's called North Star Minority Cannabis Association. Yes. Yes, and the focus, I'm the executive director, and the focus yes. is basically um, assisting in workforce development in the cannabis industry for people of color. You know, we have so many people who want to get into the industry and they don't quite know how, but they also, you know, everyone's not going to be a dispensary owner and people need to know that, you know, if you're a current professional, you work in HR, you're just as valuable and you're needed in mm -hmm. cannabis. Mm -hmm. If you are somebody who has marketing skill sets, dispensaries need marketers, like all of these things are necessary. So the nonprofit uh, that I, that I run has to do with helping professionals and people who are interested in entering the cannabis industry professionally to learn about what their options are, you know, where they can be hired, you know, different, different information to learn and, and so that they can basically find their way into the cannabis industry because everybody's path might not be flower touching. Right. Right. Yes. And I mean, in some ways that is, the more affordable route, right? Because if you enter- Absolutely. Yeah, the license is thousands of dollars. You might not even get your license after- Hundreds of thousands. Like, right. yes, that's that's one of the biggest, in, in terms of equity, mm. that's one of the largest barriers to entry for so many, you know, black and brown people is the capital that right. you have to raise to even get anything off the ground because unlike normal businesses, there are so many fines and fees associated with anything connected to the cannabis industry. I'm talking about things as simple as having a banking account mm -hmm. if you're in cannabis. You know, it's not, it's not like how if you just get a regular banking account somewhere else. There are so many banks because right now cannabis is still a Schedule One federal offense, you know, controls on the controlled sub substance list. It, it's still so many banks won't even touch anything. Right. So if you're an infuser, if you're a transporter, if you're a, a home grower, a craft grower, a cultivator or something like that, just being able to set up a business mm -hmm. is extremely hard, just starting at the very bottom. Mm -hmm. So that, that's another point in regards to when we talk about making this industry more equitable, how are we holding these banks accountable? Mm -hmm. how, are we, how, are we, how are we getting loans? How are loans being handled? Are they being offered? Because, you know, as my girlfriend always says, you know, Mila, we talk about this all the time, how banks give 13 cents for every one white dollar to black and brown people. Hmm. So if that's just that, if that's just the regular norm wow. of, of regular loans and finances, financing for any just business owner, 
think about how 10 times harder it'll be for a black or brown person trying to enter the cannabis space. Right, exactly. And so that, okay, so that is not economically sustainable for the vast majority of black and brown people. And that makes exactly right. It's just, yeah, it's, it's not. And that, that sustainability question makes me think about just the cannabis industry sustainability period. Cause I, I feel like social Mm -hmm. equity includes the economic injustice, but it also includes Mm -hmm. environmental sustainability issues. And absolutely. Yeah. This month we're really focusing. Absolutely. I'm I'm so glad you brought that up. Right. <laughs> you know, we we just uh, finished, and when I say we, I'm talking about uh, my business partner and friend Mila K. Marshall. She's an urban ecologist and environmentalist, just a dope ass cannabis, mm-hmm. and <laughs> she writes for Cannabis Business Times, and 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 she she also helped or create the curriculum, the city college's curriculum on cannabis and cannabis dispensary operations. So she's a dope human being, dope woman, and a trailblazer in this industry. Mm -hmm. And we just finished, um, we had the the pleasure of being in DC with Kinfolk Dispensary, having a conversation on environmental sustainability Mm -hmm. and equity and what that looks like in the cannabis industry. And, you know, so many people are fixated on the money and you know like you said people want want to know how much they can make or you know the financial injustice but few people are talking about the impact of all of this stuff when it comes to the earth especially since we're 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 in earth month it's april you know earth day earth month right yeah and my question is as we're talking about equity in the, in, and in the environment, because these conversations, I'm not hearing a lot of them either. Mm. My, my question is, what are we doing to hold these, these MSOs, these multi-state operators that are able to go from state to state, getting cannabis licenses, setting up, having grow houses and all of this stuff, cultivation plants and all of that. Are we holding them accountable to the practices of their growing? as it pertains to the environment and the communities that they set up in. I bring that up because a lot of these places are not located in inner cities or metropolis areas or stuff like that. They're located in poor rural areas in these legal states. And a lot of those poor rural areas have black and brown communities. And so the question is, is, is a certain percentage of your revenue going back into the community where you're growing? Mm-hmm. Are you siphoning the, the water resources from the, the neighboring communities? To, because, because cannabis is a greedy, a greedy crop. It requires a lot of water. So is the water being taken from the people in that community to, to grow this, this plant and, and have this, this, this product that these people are making millions and billions of dollars on and they're not putting anything in those communities. Is that happening? Mm. Our resource being, our resources being depleted, you know, what are these companies being held to? What standard are they being held to if they are in company, excuse me, communities that are black and Brown and that are impoverished, Mm. you know, it kind of, it's not a good look. If you've got a multimillion dollar company, 
in a community where everyone's struggling and on uh, government assistance. That kind of doesn't make sense. And also, when we talk about equity, you do have a lot of these companies that say, okay, well, you know, we're, we're providing jobs. That's fair. But if there's no transportation system mm-hmm. and the people who live there can't even get to the plant, are you also providing shuttles? That's mm-hmm. a form of equity, making sure the people that you're providing the jobs for in these rural areas that you're setting up and taking advantage of, are you making sure they can get to and from work too? You know, there, there's so many ways to look at equity. And I think if we just stop and, and take into consideration the needs of the people and the land that's being used and, and weave that into how we view equity versus I should get money too, I, I think we, we would be on a better track, you know, in, in regards to the, the equity conversation. Yeah, what what you're making me think, what you're saying makes me think about just the rapid onset of climate change, or not, it's not really rapid, like, we've been headed here for, for a while, but just, you know. Right, when that, the, 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 that they didn't believe was real, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. But now it's like, oh, like, we're seeing the, we're, we're in it, you know, we're, we're seeing the effects, this is, this is going to happen, and what communities are going to be impacted first and worst, mm-hmm. and it's going to be impoverished mm-hmm. communities, which are primarily comprised of people. Yes. Um, and yes, and, and what you're, the questions you're raising just makes me think about all the ways that the cannabis industry is not, and not just the cannabis industry, just in general, that we're not talking about just business, business industries in general. I mean, the, if you, if you think about it, you know, historically, <laughs> a lot of businesses have always valued the bottom line and the, the revenue over the, the negative impact that their practices have caused in the world and in the earth, be it polluting the earth, be it polluting the, the air, be it polluting water resources, you know, around or rivers and tributaries. Like it's, it's been, that's, that's the whole reason we even have the, the Environmental Protection Agency mm-hmm. because so many companies and corporations had these practices that were just so detrimental to people and the environment that the government had to step in and say, wait, hold on. Money is not more important than the air we breathe, the water we drink or the land we walk on. Yes. And just the residual impacts of toxins that we don't even, like you, you, it's just such a good point. Where are these cultivation sites? What is the harm? I mean, because it's, it's industry. So there's going to be harm caused on the planet (laughs) in some It is. What is the least amount of harm that your company is doing? I mean, and and like you said, there are so many, the the majority of places that these these businesses set up in are the poor areas, are the areas that are historically black and brown. Like even here in Chicago, we have an old Sherwin-Williams abandoned plant. I don't, I think it's, it's, they've, it's done and, but maybe there's some stuff going on. I don't know. Right in a community and it has poisoned the earth so bad, mm. right in a community, right in our community. You would never see that in, let's just say, historically non-Black communities mm. in our city, mm. you know? Yep. And, and the fact that these types of things are allowed and have been allowed is, is proof that we know that there is a tendency to set up shop in communities that are already disenfranchised. Yeah. 
Yeah. So because we know that we have to be hyper vigilant whenever we see a company coming in to any community where there are black and brown people saying we're going to set up and this is what we're doing and this is what we're building. It is our job to be civically engaged and hold these aldermen and these elected officials and these people who look like us but don't do things for our benefit accountable and say, wait a minute. Okay, yes, this plant is coming and they're going to provide 500 jobs, but they're also going to poison the water supply. We right. don't want that. We have to do and say things like that, you know, individually. Okay. We might not be very strong, but when we come together, we're like that strong fist yeah. and even communities that may not have a lot fiscally per se still, still matter mm -hmm. and still should not be subject to the fact that they don't have a lot of finances. So it's okay to dump trash or mm -hmm. it's okay to, you know, just just deplete the resources of that community or or abuse the people financially because they don't have a lot of options mm -hmm. you know yeah absolutely and i think it's so important to connect the fact that these communities so many of these communities that are already you know depleted of resources that are already in poverty mm -hmm. already lack infrastructure they lack those things because of the war on drugs in large part i mean you have yeah. this this system that is tearing communities of color apart, creating poverty, mm -hmm. and no one wants to, politicians don't want to invest in these communities. So where are the, yes. you know, where are the, where are the parks, where's the sustainable um, infrastructure in place? It's not there. So they're set up to be the most vulnerable. Oh God, I can't hear you, hold on. Oh, oh, oh no, I can't hear you, you went away. No. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't know what happened. I think my 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 mute button something, but no, yes, I, yeah, I definitely agree. And 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 to your point about these politicians, like we as a people need to stop voting for people just off of name recognition or that they've been in office for 20 years or that they're the son of the person we liked. Screw that, yeah. you know. If somebody's not doing things or making choices that result in your best interest, mm -hmm. you can't keep empowering them because they're unfortunately, sometimes our politicians are our worst enemies because they are the ones who allow infiltration of a lot of these companies and, you know, organizations or, or entities to come in and further take advantage of the communities without pouring back into them. Yeah. Mm. Boom. I mean, <laughs> I, I just feel ready. I just feel ready to fight. <laughs> um, the last thing that I want to ask you as we close is so let's a lot of our listeners are people who care about marijuana matters to them, whether it's medicine, they care about the industry, yes. social equity. But yes. Don't necessarily know what they can do to make a change. A lot, mm -hmm. I know that I can sometimes feel overwhelmed. Like I, I can't take down the system. It's been going. It's gonna keep going. What What is one small step that a consumer or even just an ally, just someone who is interested in getting involved? What's one small step that a person listening right now can take to help promote environmental justice in the cannabis industry? 
So one thing I definitely suggest to anybody, you can be a CEO or you can be just sitting in your car for the first time hearing a conversation on cannabis. And that is to acclimate yourself to what's going on. It doesn't take anything to type in cannabis in Google and hit that news button and it will populate the most current up-to-date information from state to state on what's going on. Now, true enough, you can't trust every article. You want to make sure that there's an actual reputable source, a person who wrote the article, you know, make sure it's not no name, make sure it's a publication that, you know, you can trust. And from there, find out one, is cannabis legal in your state? And if it is, is it recreational or is it medical? After that, look into the legislation, find out what's going on. What organizations are doing the work on the ground in your state? I promise you can type cannabis organizations, you know, in, in whatever state and stuff will pop up, get on their newsletters, find out what they're saying. Because in most cases, a lot of these organizations are providing legislative updates because legislation is constantly changing. They're providing Zoom links and meetings and workshops for, you know, if you want to learn more about it, how to get involved, what to do. So my, my advice is for people to, to search and seek and join stuff. Some things they do charge, but a lot of stuff is free. And a lot of newsletters, a lot of information out here is free for anybody who wants to, to, to get into the industry. When I tell you I was on Instagram, I was on Instagram when I first saw the class uh, medical marijuana one-on-one being offered at a local shop in my neighborhood. And that's what started it for me. And I signed up for a five-week certification program and that opened everything up for me because it's a small community. And once people see you're sincerely interested, trust me, they're going to provide more resources. You're going to be around other people. And just in regular conversations, you, you would learn so much about who to follow, what to do, where to go, who's doing what. And you don't even have to be somebody who partakes or consumes cannabis. There are people who simply are just trying to push, push, the, push the stuff forward, push all this information forward. You can be an ally. You don't have to partake. Yes. Because it matters. It matters whether you're- Because it matters. It matters. Let me tell you, when, when, when there are products out here that will help a child stop having seizures, when there are products out here that can ease the pain of cancer, when there are products out here that help someone not want to harm themselves anymore, that fucking matters. Even if it's not you, somebody in your life struggles with those things and, and it matters. Mm. Preach! <laughs> yes it's yes thank you boom thank you if people want to follow you You you're so welcome where should they go if they want to follow you on social media or website absolutely you can follow me at it's the boom show on instagram um also i have a show that we do it's called to be blunt with mila and boom you can follow that page on facebook Every second and fourth Friday, we do a conversation around cannabis culture. And we actually have one tonight, 7.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. All right. (laughs) So join us. We talk about everything from legislation to cannabis culture to cannabis stock to upcoming events. 
job opportunities in cannabis and all in in between. So feel free to join and follow us. It's called To Be Blunt with Mila and Boom. That sounds super useful. As this conversation was, Boom, I appreciate you so much. Thank you for your time, your wisdom, your passion. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. That's it for today's episode of the Greenlight Podcast. Check the show notes to find out how you can connect with Boom and definitely check out her show to be blunt with Mila and Boom. If you support what we're doing, subscribe to our podcast and leave us a five-star review. That'll help others find us and learn more about social equity in the cannabis industry. You can find out more about Marijuana Matters by checking out our website, marijuanamatters.org, and you can follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram at Marijuana Matters DC. Thanks for joining us. Talk soon.